0: Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, author Jonathan Tropper, and tonight's guests, creator and writer of the book S, available now on iBooks, J.J. Abrams and Doug Dorst. Hi, everybody. Hello. Thank you.
1: Hey. Thank you all for being here. Um, we're going to spend a little time talking about S before we get you guys involved. Um, JJ, I'm going to start with you for a second. Uh, the, the first kernel of an idea for this book happened uh, in your brain about 15 years ago when you were in the airport and you found a discarded uh, Ludlam paperback. And there was a note in there from the last reader addressing it to whoever the next reader would be. Could you give us kind of the, the Cliff Notes version of how you got from that? I mean, 15 years is a lot of development time even by Hollywood standards. And, what the evolution was from that idea to to getting to this place.
0: Uh, sure. Uh, first of all, thank you all for uh, coming tonight. Um, yay, all of you! Um, well, the uh, essentially what happened was I, I was at the airport and I found this book, and like you said, uh, someone had written, to whomever finds this book, please read it, take it somewhere, and leave it for someone else to find it. And it reminded me of being in college and seeing what people had written in the margins of books that you'd check out, and uh, sometimes seeing what they would highlight and just wondering about the life that this book had before I picked it up. And it just it stayed with me for a long time. And many, many years later, this is now three or four years ago, I mentioned this to Lindsay Weber. And Lindsay runs our feature department at Bad Robot. Uh, and she's right there. Lindsay Weber. Lindsey, stand up. Come on. Lindsay Weber. <laughs> Lindsay Weber. <laughs> uh, Lindsay... Uh, thought the idea had some promise and she found uh, a genius uh, who's sitting to my right named uh, Doug Dorst. And Doug came in to have a meeting and sort of talk about this idea. And all I really knew was I wanted to do... This is not the Notes version. All I knew is I wanted to do... Sorry, it's so long. I wanted to uh, try to create a book that was a novel that had two people who didn't know each other. The idea was someone left a novel that they had written all these notes in in the library. Someone else had found it, read some of the book, read some of the notes, responded to the notes, and left the book back where it was, it was found. And that, that the original person found the book, responded to those notes, and this conversation would begin. And the book itself would become a vessel of communication between two people. I, Lindsay and I pitched this idea to Doug, who miraculously lit up and started making the idea better instantly. And that was how the Collaboration began.
1: Um, Doug, uh, let's talk to you for a minute. Um, if you guys could show what the inside of the book uh, looks like for a second, um, you bit off a mammoth undertaking. I didn't understand it until I-, I opened up the book, and you know most writers, myself included, would not even try to do it. You know what you did here. You basically created three books within one. You have a 460 or so page historical novel. You have a uh, fictitious editor annotating the book who may or may not actually be the fictitious author who's a man of mystery. And through his annotations, you're starting to learn about a separate life of mystery that surrounded this fictitious author. And then on a third level, you have this disgraced grad student, Eric, and and this undergrad, Jen, passing the book back and forth, scribbling all their notes and uncovering both a a larger contemporary conspiracy surrounding them and at the same time falling in love. So you wrote three books within one and I guess the first question that occurred to me as both a writer and a reader is how do you accomplish that process wise? Did you write all three at once? Did you first write the novel then write the other two? Like, I don't even know how you sat down at your desk that first day. Um, I think
2: the the thing that made it easy to sit down is that I had actually no idea that it would turn out to be this complicated and this difficult. Uh, I'm, I'm a notoriously poor planner. Uh, and so as far as I knew, it was going to be... Uh, it might well have been uh, notes in the margins of a really sensible, tight, compact I don't, collection of haiku, um, which probably would have been a good strategy, actually. Um, but then... So I sat down, uh, I knew that the Ship of Theseus, the inner novel, uh, I had to get some of that done first and then figure out you know, how the margin notes might work in it. Um, we did uh, the forward and chapter one, I think, and that's what we took out to publishers with, with both the inner novel and the margin novel in place. Um, and after that, I simply wrote the rest of Ship of Theseus straight through. Um, And, you know, because we thought it was essential for the inner novel to work well. And then I think once we all felt comfortable with it, that's when we dove in and and got started with the margin story.
0: But just to also speak to Doug's uh, brilliance, insanity, and ambition. The original idea, it wasn't even clear that the novel had to be an original idea. We thought maybe there's even an existing novel that we can sort of play this game with and have a sort of play on top of of a book. But Doug had this... I think, brilliant conceit of using the sort of authorship conspiracy idea of who is this author and that the book had to be something that was an original book and it had to be great writing so that all of it made sense because it's such a gimmick otherwise. And I think that what Doug did was say, not only do I want to write the novel, but I want it to be the central idea. And within the novel, in addition, are all these pieces of ephemera. You see like, you know, there's... Right here, there's an obituary. There are notes, letters, postcards, pictures. There's a map drawn on a napkin. When you get the book, it's in a slipcase. So uh, when you open it up, you see that there are these things stuck inside. And this book is th- this document of this relationship and this love story that exists between an undergrad student and a grad student. Okay. Um, JJ, you're, um, you're a director, you're
1: a screenwriter, you're a producer. Um, and you know, from, from what I've seen about you, that keeps you pretty busy usually. And I'm just wondering, what was it that compelled
0: you to want to create a book? Um, I'll answer that. But first, can I say two words? Jonathan Tropper, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Look who's up here. This is crazy. I want to, Everyone wants to hear you answer questions. Um, what? Oh, yes, yes. I remember. Um, <laughs> I, uh, the idea was a book. I mean, the idea was... I, I just felt like if we didn't do this, and look, there have been other examples of things in the past where there's been, you know, it's not the first time to sort of be experimental uh, with a novel like this, but in this particular way, I think it is pretty unique. And the, I just, when I talked about this with Lindsay, the thought was someone's going to do something like this. And if it's not us, I'm going to kill myself. Like it ha- I I just really wanted to see this thing. And, and the truth is that not only did Doug go... F- above and beyond what anyone could have imagined in terms of the quality of the writing and the imagination of it. But then the Mulholland books and Melcher Media who created the physical object, the book itself is incredible. I know we're here to talk about the iBook digital version, which in some ways is great because you could actually remove, as you might have seen, the handwriting to make the reading of the novel easier because it's pretty clean. But to have the physical object whether it's the actual thing or the you know, facsimile, uh, it's an incredible thing that they did. The design was amazing. And I just thought that was the goal, not to make a movie or a show.
1: Okay. So, um, Doug, this is for you. Let's talk about the, the Ship of Theseus for a minute, which is the novel within the book. Um, forgetting everything else that's going on on these pages, that's a fully wrought novel. That is, that is Treasure Island. That's 460 or so pages, and it's very compelling. So... Thanks. (laughs) um, It's great to hear. um, So my question is, you're you're basically ghostwriting for a fictional author. Um, So it's a twofold question. The first is, and I think I heard you talking a little bit about this in the green room, uh, does that require a certain amount of method acting for you as a writer, where you actually put yourself into this fictional writer? And the second part is, did you really feel when you finished that book, because now that you've told us that you actually wrote that book all the way through, did you feel you had a fully realized novel that you were proud of on its own before you went into the second part and third part and fourth part? <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: second question first, because that's the one I remember uh, right now. And you're going to have to remind me of the first. Um, yeah, when I got to the end of Ship of Theseus*, I did feel, uh, or when, when we got it to a place where we felt like it was working, I, I definitely felt that, you know... Um, some sort of accomplishment. I mean, I knew there was more to do, but I'm actually really proud of, of the underlying novel. Um, wait, was that actually the question? And, yes, and, okay. and you
1: weren't doing anything within that novel to feed the stuff that was gonna come later, or you were?
2: No, I wasn't. Um, I was really, I tend to work really improvisationally, and so I, I thought, let's, let's let the novel unfold as it does. And, and just sort of, I, I trusted that there would be ample opportunity for the story between these two readers, to to find its way, to find the right places in the margins, uh, for it. So yeah, it was it was me trusting the process, um, I don't, mostly because I didn't feel like I could plan it. Uh, I guess. Oh, the first question was about method acting. Yes. Yeah, it would be a great answer. Like I imagine like myself walking around my office, like stomping about like a furious revolutionary, um, possible assassin, but. Um, no, I, I, I didn't. I mean, there, there was something I was well aware of um, how freeing and exciting it was to write as someone who was explicitly not me. And, and, and part of that was being able to say, oh, I have this idea. And wait a minute, that's ludicrous and a terrible idea. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, I'm not me. This writer might have followed that idea. Uh, and so I did. And actually, some of those things worked out really nicely, I think.
1: Um, JJ, um, a number of articles I read, um, have likened your role in this to a showrunner. Um, you know, the way a showrunner runs a series or, or, contributes creatively to a series while other writers sit in the room and, and, hammer out the episodes. And I wondered if you sort of accept that comparison or don't accept that comparison and how you would compare your role in this book to your role, let's say overseeing, you know, a show like Lost.
0: Well, uh, in fairness, um, you know, as you well know, uh, a a showrunner typically writes, rewrites most episodes, or at least oversees in incredible detail what scripts get written for that show. Um, That's not what I did here at all. Uh, I had the original idea, and then we collaborated, and I gave notes, and Lindsay did an extraordinary amount of work on the book, developing it. Um, But... Doug did the heavy lifting and the writing. Uh, I would liken it more to being a producer of a, of a movie where uh, you, know, you have an idea, a conceit for what this thing could be, um, and then worked with the people, the collaborators, uh, the storytellers, in, in that case, you know, something like Cloverfield or something, which is a, uh, this monster movie we did. Thank you to the one pro- Oh, please, thank you, thank you. Also, awesome. I'm a big fan of Gone with the Wind. <laughs> I have nothing to do with that. Uh, but the, when we did Cloverfield, it was, it was you know, someone directed that film, someone wrote that film. Um, I was a producer on the film, and it was an idea that I had that other people you know, uh, did all the, the hard work. Um, and yes, I give notes, and I collaborate with, with these incredible you know, storytellers. That was the case here. Uh, so Showrunner, I think, would be giving me far too much credit, but producer does feel right, and it's a weird thing to say, oh, I produced a book. Um, but I do feel that that's kind of what I was doing with Lindsay with and Doug.
1: Um, this is uh, for both of you, and you can keep you could chime in with each other. Um, reading this book requires a level of commitment and energy. Um, this is not a book you just grab and jump out into the backyard for twenty minutes. This is a book that requires attention. Um, and did you worry that it might require uh, too much of the reader? Were you concerned that maybe taking it as as f- realizing it as fully as you did might be asking the reader sort of for more of a commitment than maybe readers generally give a book?
2: Um, I mean, I knew it would be demanding. I, I think on some level I knew there was something slightly insane about it as a project. Um, but I actually, I, there was too much to worry about in writing it and just trying to get the stories out and get them um, telling themselves as, as well as they could. I, I kind of thought I'll, I'll worry about the other stuff later. If I make too big a mess for a reader to deal with, we'll figure out a way to clean it up. Um, but I, I, I freed myself from worrying that, uh, worrying about it in the writing.
0: The, the goal was to create something that wasn't just a typical book, and uh, whether that's wonderful or better or infuriating and frustrating and worse, you know, uh, it, it'll, it'll depend how different people accept it and take it. But I remember when I was a kid, there was uh, this series uh, of books written by this British author, uh, Dennis Wheatley, and there were these great mysteries and uh, murder mysteries often. And there would be these documents that would talk about this the case as if it were real. And inside there would be these little wax paper envelopes that would have a stamp that was a piece of evidence or a lock of hair or a photograph that had been ripped into four pieces or something. and. You'd read all of these letters and things. And and it wasn't a novel. It was really this sort of presentation of a situation. And you would have to read through all this stuff, figure out what you thought. And then when you were ready, you could open up the seal on the back and read this essay that basically explained what really happened and why. And it was a sort of, it was asking something of you that was not a casual beach read necessarily. Um, But I do think that this was not quite that but it wasn't quite your typical novel either. And I think that there were definitely times when we were reading where I thought this is definitely going to be a confusing moment, but I think like, you know, I think Doug did an extraordinary job and like one of the things that I love is like any great author, just when you're feeling like, oh, I don't quite get, soon enough, something happens, something, information is given to you where you go, oh. And because the book is somewhat of an analog, interactive experience, you can find your answers to if you want to. Um, But I think that the, The romance, the flirtation, the fun between Jan and Eric is wonderful and current. The book itself, Ship of Theseus alone, is really an amazing entertainment. Um, So I think there are a lot of ways you can approach it.
1: Okay, and um, as soon as I got the book and opened it up and I I cracked the seal, uh, the first thing I did was call Lindsay and say, how do I read this? (laughs) And and we talked about it for a little while, and, and ultimately I discovered my own way that I enjoyed reading it. But I wondered... If each of you wanted to tell readers how you think it it is best read, if you have a way that you think it's best read, I'd lo- I'd love to hear what you each think of that.
2: Uh, I don't I don't think there's a best way to do it. I think it, it entirely depends on how best you you process information or 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 the most exciting way it is uh, there is for you to to um, to get involved in the story. Uh, I. Think I would be inclined to read *Ship of Theseus* all the way through and then go back and uh, and tackle the margin story, um, that's but exactly
1: really th- how I am not reading it.
2: That's exactly <laughs> are you are doing it perfectly simultaneously? No, I'm doing
1: like I read about ten pages and then I go back and read. Um, but that's a tribute to you because I don't want to leave Jen and Eric behind.
0: Oh, that's nice. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, how would?
0: Aww.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I I think that that, that uh, my my guess is. I would probably read a chapter, and then go back and read the chapter with the the, the notes. And it is definitely a little bit distracting sometimes because you want to, and you know, so you can't. I can't help myself completely. So, but it's a weird thing when, when we we first read uh, Doug's early you know drafts, they were written and then it was his handwriting, and so it, it was an amazing thing to see what Meltra Media did in finding people to actually play Jen and play Eric you know, in the handwriting, because it was almost like looking, watching an actor come in. And assu- we actually had to choose the, the handwriting, the people we wanted to, to, whose handwriting would be Eric or Jen's. So it, it was a very different kind of book experience, I would guess, uh, from any typical one.
2: Which ended up being a, a really cool thing, because um, handwriting is is such an intimate thing. Like, the casting that they did with, with the writers really helped shape the characterizations. I mean, there's definitely... Um, the voices feel differently uh, in in, uh, in the different handwriting options that that we saw
1: well that actually brings me to the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is you know you took you basically you know the old fashioned epistolary novel, which were entire novels written in letters back and forth, um, you created an, episto- an epistolary novel through margin notes, and yet i I found it super impressive that. Jen and Eric both emerged with very fully formed personalities. Um, You could see the feelings going back and forth. You could see the thing becoming a love affair. And at the same time, you use them to communicate this threat and this danger and this mystery growing around them so that there's actually a a completely effective novel written purely in margin form. Um, uh, That might not be the right way to say it, but, you know... Um, th- I guess the question I had for you is that that was a tremendous limitation that you exploited to, to a, a very artistic uh, endpoint. And did you feel f- frustrated by that limitation you had set for yourself? Or did you ultimately feel like it totally showed you how to write their story?
2: Um, I don't think I was frustrated by it. I mean, I think that was, that was actually part of the attraction of the project, was trying to tell an interesting story with this you know, challenging constraint um th- it was really difficult i mean i was probably halfway through it when i realized wait a minute i am going to have a whole lot of trouble narrating action in the- like action will be very very difficult to do without it sounding horribly expository and fake and lame um and so you know there there were some moments where you know we had to figure out you know well how do we have this thing happen but have it feel like it's emerging organically in this conversation the um the voices of Jen and Eric, the, those characterizations were probably the trickiest part of the book. I mean, that's for all of the formal stuff going on, for all the layers of stories. Really, getting Jen and Eric right was the most difficult part. Um, and actually, Lindsay was a tremendous, tremendous help there. Um, Jen and Eric were very much like the last thing to fall into place. Um, and, and of course, you know, the whole thing depends on them. Um, so, I think I had to write my way in pretty deeply and have a little help before they really took shape.
1: Okay, well, I think you did an incredible job. It's, it's actually my favorite part of the book, is watching that relationship grow. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, thanks, Lindsay. Um, OK, JJ, um, Lost, Alias, Fringe, uh, Believe, which is shooting now. Um, what these shows have in common, and maybe some of your other work, is this, se- this sense of a shadow world of greater conspiracies that exist, you know, the, the truth beneath the truth beneath the truth. Um, and in S as well, there's a sense of, you know, both that mythology and that sense of a shadow world, um, which, you know, are two separate things that, that you've married together. Um, I don't want to pathologize this too much, but I'm just wondering what it is about that sort of universal well that you feel sort of drawn to or that you feel readers and viewers are drawn to as well?
0: Um, well, I think that, that uh, without sort of analyzing any of the stuff that I've done, because you're scaring me, um, <laughs> I think that the, the, the truth is that when I was a kid, I remember looking at the world in a way that felt like anything was possible, which was a, a, an exciting feeling that everyone seems to share when you're a kid. And as I got older, I remember feeling like understanding that maybe not everything was possible, but appreciating the, that feeling that there's that door on the side of a building. And what if behind that door was a really dark corridor with a red light at the end, the staircase going down? And what if you went down there and there was a, a door that had a keypad? And, you, like, and I, I would always imagine... Things like that. When I would drive with my parents, we'd be in the middle of nowhere. They'd be like a shack in the middle of a, you know, field. I think, well, what if you opened the door to that shack and there was like this sort of bunker and there was a way to go down into the... Like, what would be... Down? I was always drawn to that, that idea of things behind the things that, you know, that seem normal. And um, I think that, you know, the idea of a show like like Alias, the, the natural uh, playground for a... Uh, an espionage series is things aren't what they seem. People aren't who they appear to be. Lost. One of the first ideas that came to me, not knowing you know what or who would be in there, was this idea of a hatch on this island. That the island wasn't just an island. Um, you know, Fringe is a place that's you know this blab beneath um, Harvard where crazy fringe science is done. I, I am drawn to that kind of idea, and it's funny because none of that was imposed upon Doug at all. Doug, in his insanity, came to this kind of stuff on his own, but it was it was my favorite uh, kind of a thing because it just felt like the notion of identity, the whole like question of ship of Theseus. If you keep replacing pieces of a ship, is it the same ship once every everything's been replaced? That notion of identity applies to the author, Straka. It applies to the main character. It applies to Jan and Eric. It applies to, it applies to the the editor of the book, like you mentioned. So the idea of identity and things not being what they at what they seem at first, uh, at first glance, was sort of a theme of the, of the book. And it admittedly felt very comfortable for us. All right, well,
1: congratulations to both of you. I really do think it, it's a tremendous accomplishment, yeah. this book. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, and now let's, uh, let's turn it over to questions from our audience. There should be some guys running around for with no mics. Um, uh, you honed on, this is a question for both of you. Uh, JJ, you talked about this earlier about um some influence, but I want to know were there any other influences from both of your past works and films and writing books or any other types of literature that you guys might have read that influenced more for um for this book
2: um I think there there have to be influences i don't I don't know that any writer can write without influences showing through i I went out of my way to try to avoid having anything look like too much of an influence or you know, to yeah i was trying to resist really obvious influence by by anyone because in part i'm writing as this writer who is you know 60 years later thought of as a writer who was singular in some way so you know i gotta be really careful about um, you know exposing influences i i i do i have always loved storytellers who approach story from odd angles and with odd structures um, and so uh, Donald Barthelme was a huge influence, and uh, one of my old teachers, Gilbert Sorrentino, who was just this genius of rule-breaking, uh, that, you know, that's always appealed to me. And I think it was part of why the project was appealing to begin with, this notion of, okay, here is this, you know, this crazy conceit, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna tell a good story with that? And, and yeah, I just lit up, because that's fun, that kind of challenge.
0: I think we, we we both have our different influences, but like I said, for this particular project, I was mostly influenced by uh, those Wheatley books and uh, and that woman Janet who wrote the, <laughs> the wrote that that note in the book and left it at the airport.
1: Uh, over here, this question's for JJ. Uh, creative people tend to struggle with giving up ownership of their ideas uh, and be very territorial over something that's theirs, that they view in their world. Uh, It seems like, from your history, that's something that isn't a factor for you, that you tend to think that the more people collaborate together and work together, the better the creative process can be. Can you sort of talk about your view on that, and if that is accurate, and why you
0: feel that way? Uh, It's incredibly nice of you to say that. Thank you. Um, I mean, the the truth is that uh, if, if the master you're serving is the project, is the... The idea is the book in this case, um, being territorial uh, or or you know it, it, if I were to uh, you know not be willing to share this idea, I'd be nowhere near this room right now, and I would not be talking to you the The, the whole point of it is if there's an idea that's worth doing, um, and if you think you can do it yourself, great, you know that you should you should do it, but no movie gets made. With one person, no television show does, and while a lot of books do, I knew this book wouldn't. Just myself, and the collaboration was really something that was born out of a discussion with with Lindsey Weber. And in talking about it with her, the idea of like, well, let's find someone that we can collaborate on this thing. And and so you know, my name is on the book. I'm already getting too much credit as it is. The truth is that you know, Doug is the author of record of this book. Um, And my involvement, yes, I had the original idea, and they probably felt that it was you know. Easier to go out and sort of sell the book if I was part of that. But the experience of doing it was such a wonderful ex- experience. The collaboration was so great. And anytime I'm sure that you've felt this, if you've ever collaborated with people in this way, when someone is better than you are at something and they inspire you, your ideas get better. And then you're suddenly saying, wait a minute, how, how about this? I never would have thought of it, but what about this? You know, I, I will say I'm working right now with Lawrence Kasdan, you know, on a script. And working with him has been. Such a joy, because he will throw out ideas that, in a million years, I would never have thought of, that are patently better than any idea I would have had that day, and all of a sudden, he ups my game because he is so good, and I felt the same exact thing working with Doug. he brought to to me and to, to Lindsay um, a world that took a notion that could have gone any direction. And I, I think just elevated it completely. So I, I embrace the collaboration. I don't care who has the best idea. When we're working on a movie, I always tell the crew, whoever has the idea, if there's a moment that you think will make this this moment better, more authentic, funny, or scary, more interesting, please share it. You know, don't be at the wrap party, saying, ah, you know, on day 34, I was, I should have said this, but I, you know, and oh my God, that would have made it better. Please, you know, tell me now when we can actually do it. And that was certainly ex- the experience working with Doug. Is that unusual that that philosophy that you have, or have you experienced that most people have that I, I, I've experienced you know I work with a lot of people who, who have that, and I, I feel like it is um, it's its right I'll tell this very quick story and because and I, I, I'm talking too much anyway, but um, when I was uh, 14 years old or something 14 15, my father who uh, was a TV movie producer, took me to Paramount Studios one night. It's like, where are we going? We lived in Los Angeles like, I'm taking you somewhere. He wouldn't tell me where. So I get to Paramount. It's at night. We go into this small screening room, like 30 seats, and there are 15, 18 people there. And I see that one of the people is John Carpenter, who, he's right there. John Carpenter, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Uh, John Carpenter, who was one of my favorite directors at the time, you know, and I still adore him, and I'm freaking out. And I had loved... uh, Halloween, and I love the fog, and I'm like, oh my god, it's John Carpenter. And he was going to screen for the first time a cut of his new movie, Escape from New York. So my head is exploding. I can't believe it. So I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this movie, which during the screening, the projector broke. He had to change the thing and put the film back in. He had to read dialogue that wasn't recorded yet, like live. Anyway, I watched this whole thing, and the movie's over. And John says, "So, what did you think? You know what... The reason I'm telling you this is that I got to watch someone with a completely open mind embrace any idea that he heard. And it was this unbelievable education in the, the sort of the notes that came after the movie to see how someone who clearly is nervous, f- clearly vulnerable, you know, but was asking these people. And it turned out my father knew like the, the DP, and that was why we were invited. And it was an amazing thing to watch someone um, at, at that age, to watch someone I admired, be so open to the better idea no matter where it came from. And it was a, an inspiring thing to see and for some reason it occurred to me now, so. Hi,
2: this is for both of you, but specifically for JJ. And you mentioned earlier about the history and uh, how it started with a note from Janet, or whatever her name is, in the airport, and I kind of wanted to know, where are you and Janet now? Because obviously the story didn't end there, with the book coming out and everything, but have you met Janet since then, or do you know her, or anything from Janet?
0: Janet and I, um, I really don't want to talk about it. No, uh, I don't know who the hell Janet is. I. Um, but uh, I'm grateful to Janet uh, and I still have the book I have yet to read the book uh, and uh, I will read it and I will leave it for someone uh, to find but uh, I, you know if Janet if you're out there let me know uh, this question is for both of you um,
1: I'm glad that uh, m- myself being an avid book reader uh, and technologically challenged uh, I like the feel. And growing up, like you said, with Dakota books and... Uh, the duality of the book is what's intriguing me now, that there's two stories going on, like you said, with the doors opening and closing. Do you envision these two characters eventually being in a book by themselves
0: to continue the conspiracy? Or
1: um,
2: I I think they could. Uh, I like them, and I'm interested in the world. And... Um uh, I really haven't had a problem thinking of fun things to do with them and this world, uh, so much so that really it was the deadline that that got me to stop um, and even then only reluctantly uh, but i, I don't they, they certainly could i'm not i 'm not planning to sit down on monday and 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 start it uh, but yeah i'd like to think they could they could keep going
0: doug 's answer. <laughs>
2: All right, so this question is for both of you as well. Um, one thing that I've noticed is that uh, it's been a fairly recent trend, uh, even since I was growing up, that uh, movies kind of inspire um, people, say middle school, high school age, to kind of go back and read the book before seeing the movie. Um, and in this case, with your involvement, JJ, it seems like um, you're creating a book experience for the sake of reading, uh, for the sake of creating that, recreating that joy of reading um, for whether it be uh, my age or even uh, younger or older. Um, but my question is, do you um, do you see this as maybe becoming a, a new trend where um, more people start to jump in for the sake of creating these book experiences where uh, people aren't trying to just read a book for the sake of being in the know, so that way they they have no surprise in the movie, but they actually want to read the book to read the book?
0: Uh, well, I, I would say that uh, it, it's probably more... Practical and realistic than it is cynical to imagine that many books are written to become something else. But it's it's sort of a uh, an unfortunate thought that books don't exist for books to exist, um, and that's what this is. Uh, it, it's funny a lot of people have said to me because of what my day job is. Oh, this is when what where are you going to develop this? When, when is this going to be a movie? And that's not what we're doing, and it's not was never the goal. And I think. That This is the end game, you know. This was always the goal. But uh, if you're asking if this book might, you know, inspire other people to do more interesting things in terms of the physical, you know, uh, book itself, I will say that there have been a few authors we've spoken to, both here and in Europe, who've said that they are so interested in what can be done, having seen what what the publishers did with S, that they're looking to sort of push the limits a little bit in terms of what their books look, feel like, you know, uh, and I think that that's an exciting thing, but uh, I don't know if you have an answer to this.
2: I I don't have anything to add.
1: Hi, guys. Oh, this is cool. Um, Hey, JJ. Um, What you do um, is really, really big. You undertake these huge projects. I mean, Star Trek, Star Wars, that's crazy. Um, And this book, too, I've never seen anything like it. And not only are you doing them, and not only are you doing them well, you're making pieces that'll last forever, really. And um, my question is, where do you find the courage, the ambition, the tenacity, and just uh, inspiration to do these huge things? Uh,
0: Okay, I love you. Um, (laughs) Clearly, I paid him to say nice things. Uh, Very kind of you. Thank you very much. but uh, it, it, it's, you're also, uh, it, it also terrifies me because the idea of things out of, outside of the project themselves, to, to look at the context in which you're making something, um, it's important. you got to know who your audience is. You have to know what's out there. You have to understand if you're writing something to make sure that you're not doing, spending a year of your life working on something that is right there already and no one's going to want you know, another version of that. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, working on things from the inside out, which we always try to do, and you can have an ambition, it doesn't always always work, but uh, is, for me, the closest thing I know to a litmus test uh, as to whether something's going to work for anyone else. Um, a lot of times, writers will say, I'm working on this thing, but I don't know if anyone's going to like it. It feels sort of like this boring thing that I love. You know, and it's amazing how often that boring thing that you love becomes a sensation. Um, and, I think the key is to do that once you start working on something saying oh they'll like this this will be cool for them I mean literally we were working on this book you know and we we were like this is insane and it's it's never gonna you know happen and and we'll, we'll see and you know to to approach something with a kind of excitement that is shared in this weird way where you just know it makes you happy um, and then to see it on the you know, New York Times bestseller list. We're like, oh my God, like that's nuts. We never would have dreamed it. It's really a result of, you know, having an idea that s- stayed with me and that that I loved, but that Lindsay felt like, oh, this could be something. Finding Doug who took it and said, oh my God, what about this? And it was like at each stage we were sort of, you know, uh, just turned on by what it could be, but n- never thinking, oh, this is going to work really well. Because actually, we were thinking, oh, my God, no publisher's ever going to be able to pull this off, you know, which Little Brown and Mohong Books totally did. You know? and, and even if they do, who's going to want it? And it's been nice to have it received warmly um, and very unexpected, frankly. Um, but the answer is just to work on things that you actually care about wherever you can um, and, uh, and to not try and think too hard about uh, what it's going to be like when it goes out into the cold, hard reality of th- the world. And thank you again for your kind words.
2: I am. I really liked your speech at TED about the mystery box. And so, when I read the when I started opening the book and I looked at it, I immediately thought of the mystery box. And I was wondering, while you were making the book or putting it together, if you thought of the mystery box at all.
0: Okay, you're a genius. You should be at the genius bar right now. no uh thank you for uh, watching that the TED talk and and making that connection uh, clearly the the fact that it comes in a box, which was a practical matter that came later was was only a result of all the things that are in the pages and if we didn't have the box, uh, there would be nothing in the pages and so uh, it, it's a funny thing when you look at the thing it does have it's this you know black, kind of cool sporty box that just has this s on it and I think that it does have a little bit of a sense of ooh, what's inside there? It's another example of the design work that they did that was gorgeous. Um, but the thing about the mystery box, which was a, a, disc, a, a talk at, at TED that I did, um, it was just about how the potential of what something can be is an incredibly powerful thing. And anyone of us who have seen a, or read a story that, that, that compels us has many moments as the story goes on where you go, ooh, I want to know the answer to that. I, I promise you, there isn't a story that you have read, where you where you don't ask that question, you know, that you've liked, because it has to be something that, 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 that draws you in. Um, but the key to something like this working is that what's inside the box has to be great, you know. If it's all just you know fluff and mystery and promise, it's nothing, and that's what this book would have been without Doug Dorst. You know what this became was a you know it became a a great read, and not just a cool box. And so I love the box, and I love the S on it, and I love the open up, and it looks really cool, and it's sort of this keepsake. But the reason that I think it's, it's worthy of, of people's time, I would hope so, is because I think that what Doug has done is written an extraordinary book with an extraordinary sort of play happening on top of it. So all the gimmicks and all the fun stuff, I think, uh, are transcended by the contents of the box, and that's thanks to Doug.
1: Okay, thank you all very much. That's all the time we have. You've been a great audience. Thank you, Doug and JJ, for coming out. And uh, if you haven't yet, you should pick up S because it's really, it's something you'll remember for the rest of your lives. Thank you. Jonathan Dropper.
2: Thanks, John.